Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven as a hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea, and all the region about Jordan, were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he'll clear his threshing flood and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Word of our Lord. Thank you for that reading, Kim. There's a reason why I had Kim do that reading, and we'll find out in a second. But uh, um, the kids are invited to Kids Church and Library with Susan today. Thank you for teaching, Susan. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is, uh, we've been talking about this this past week and this week about how Advent sort of seems to be disjointed with what the, the world around us is celebrating as Christmas. There's not a whole lot of in the shopping malls or in the stores or in the, I mean, I don't, do people go to those places anymore? <laughs> There's not a whole lot on Amazon Black Friday specials that says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn away. Um, maybe, perhaps, you could buy a sign that says that as a joke. Um, but that doesn't seem like what our culture is racing towards at this moment. It's sort of, it's a buy more, get more, do more. Be as busy as humanly possible. This Thursday, I actually have four different things I could be at. But instead, I watch my kids because the women of defiance were making wreaths here. Um, it's the season where we just seem to go faster and faster and busier and busier. Before we get started, though, on, the, on sort of diving into this text, I wanted to know about our space again. I was listening to a podcast this week, and one of the uh, things that the speaker said was that every room has a story. And so he was talking to his audience, and he was like, look, this is a theater of all the seats face forward. You guys all come in, you look at me. Um, I'm up on a stage over you, and this is sort of the story of this room. It's been a, a challenge for Kelly and I in contemporary America to have our living room not have the story of being centered around the TV. Like, that's a lot of, now some people have TV rooms, so it makes sense to be centered around the TV. But if you have a living room, Kelly and I have always thought, of, how do we make this space a living room, and not just a, a room that tells the story of we come here, to sit and consume from the talking lamp, um, to sort of be fed by that thing. 
some of the things we're doing for Advent and, and probably going forward is try to change the room, the story that this room tells. We don't, we, we focus on a cross, um, but we also don't sort of have a stage. We don't have a speaker who comes from on high and speaks to us. Uh, um, uh, we also, but the challenge for us this season or the goal is to sort of set ourselves on the table where we meet God in communion, that the, that the story of this room might be centered on that thing, that first we center ourselves on the cross as it's the one thing that sort of is over us in this room, and then we center it in the space where God meets us in communion. We center ourselves there. So it's not the music team, it's not the speaker, it's not um, uh, anything else except for where God meets us to become concerned. And so trying to think about what's the story of this room, what's the story of the finest church as we sort of center ourselves on the place in which God comes to meet us in that spot. The second thing we've been talking about for Advent is this sort of prayer, um, recovering prayer as a discipline for the congregation. Now this, last week we had the great quote from Karl Barth that um, prayer is the beginning, uh, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of a disright, uh, an uprising against the disorder of the world. So I'll do it again. To clasp hands in prayer, to begin to pray, is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. This week we have our prayer quote from Eugene Peterson, which obviously I chose it because of one word. What is it? Defiance. Hey, it says defiance, so of course it gets in here. Prayer is a subversive activity that involves more or less an open act of defiance against any claim by the current regime. Prayer brings us into the space in which we sort of defy the current regime that's telling us to be busy, to keep going, to do more, to empty ourselves for something that doesn't fulfill, and so it all becomes ash and fades away. The point with that is, is that I made um, an Advent sort of prayer card, which I'll leave up here, that we'll be praying here on Wednesday morning. We did our first one this past Wednesday, and it was a nice full time. People ask about how long it takes. We go from about 7.30 to about 7.45, 7.50. We have coffee. Uh, if you tell me you're coming, if I get donuts, I'll go get donuts. Um, but it's a time for us to sort of come and center ourselves in prayer. To pray and to hear from God, to put ourselves into places of silence and waiting, but also to pray for the concerns of the world around us, to look at what's broken by the current regime, current way the world is, and to begin to change and to pray into that. So that has some scripture readings in it that will be leading, I think, away from the Sunday readings, but, but that is sort of where these two things come from. And so this brings us to today's, the second Sunday of Advent. These are, we have the first two candles lit. The third Sunday uh, is the pink candle, and that's sort of where joy begins to enter the picture. That's sort of why that candle is sort of there in a different color and different space. But the second Sunday of Advent, we hear from John the Baptist, who sort of comes upon the scene in a different way. Um, now, we talked about last week that Advent begins in dark. And certainly the Isaiah reading for us and the John the Baptist scene, they talk that, that this pulling from Isaiah brings out the darkness that the world was and in that time. The people were in exile, all things had failed. And what Isaiah says is that there's a day coming where something else will be revealed. Something else will happen. Things will be pulled back together. And so as we miss this when we read this sometimes, 
But these texts are naming a dark reality that will be changed by what God is going to do. So John appears on the scene with his message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your ways, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now one of the things that I want to say about that is, um, when we spend this, a lot of the Sunday talking about John the Baptist, but I want to think a little bit more about what that repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand saying. Because it's the same one that inaugurates Jesus' ministry. Now, one of the things that's, that sort of stands out about these is we come this season and we focus on the Christmas story. But only two Gospels contain what we would traditionally call a Christmas story, Matthew and Luke. But every Gospel begins with this announcement from John the Baptist. John the Baptist has a role in all four Gospels in the beginning. And he comes and he brings this message of sort of fire and change. Now, one of the things that that I think about when I, I keep seeing this picture, so I just should just talk about it because it's on. I <coughs> joked a couple years ago that you never get a Christmas card that says you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Kim Vanderveer, who read the scripture for us today, made me a Christmas card that said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Ruining the perfect sermon illustration that we never get those cards. And so, taking the power back, I took a picture of the card, and so now I plan to say, Kim Vanderveer drew me a John the Baptist telling me, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath every year until I can't use that joke anymore. Um, um, but, but John, he comes on the scene in this different way. He stumbles in, and he has this message from the wilderness. He has dress that sort of sets him up as a sort of Elijah figure here on the, the margins of society. And what he's offering is this baptism for, for the forgiveness of sins, or not in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's is phrased that way, or Luke's. But in this one, he's, he's having them confess their sins, which causes a power struggle, because they're supposed to do that at the temple. And that your people are going out to the wilderness to do that. And so when John turns and sees the people of the temple there, he tells them, who warned you guys to flee the coming wrath? Who warned you of what was going to happen? Now one of the things that, that stands out if you, if you with this story is he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is basic message. Same one that starts Jesus' ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Greek word for that, as we've talked about, is metanoia. Um, and it's not just feeling sorry for what you've done. It's a transfer from one place to another. It's, it's coming back to God. It's finding communion and, and union again with God. It's not just, because uh, when we use the term repentance, I think, in society today, a lot of times we're talking about, do you feel bad for what you've done? Repent of that, and God will forgive you. That's certainly true, but this notion that they're announcing, compounded with this kingdom of heaven, is that a new realm, a new order, a new way of being, a new thing is at hand. Repent and move into that place. Repent and join that thing. This kingdom of heaven is coming near. It's, this, it's more than just this, I feel sorry, but it's this transfer of allegiances and loyalty and structure of our lives into something different and something bigger and brighter. And before we get to that, what that something different is, I wanted to, to share one way that I often think about this. This is a, a, a home screen 
of Christian apps. Um, and one of the ways I think we, we think of Christianity and repentance is I should get a new app. <laughs> this change of life that's needed for me, God restoring me, is just this new thing. My life, I mean, so to explain that, I, I'm assuming a lot here. The home screen is your life. And what we think Christianity is, and sometimes we broadcast it this way, and in our easier moments, sometimes we might even con confess it this way, is what I need to be a robust Christian or to change my allegiances is a new app on my home screen. I need a new thing to sort of plug into that place. And so Christianity becomes sort of this tech um, thing, and then you can use you know, uh, your browser for something different than what you use the Christian app for. You can use your text messaging or email box for something different. Sure, they overlap, they're on the same phone, but the, the intersection that they have between each other is small. It doesn't come and rewrite and rechange us. It doesn't bring us to a different realm. Now, some of you don't have smartphones, I realize this might be lost on you. Um, but what I think what John is asking us to do, and I don't like using technology as a metaphor for here, but it's bled into our world so much, I think we can get it, is what John is saying is actually you need a whole new sort of operating system for this thing. There's no way, space or place, if your phone is, if the screen is your life, if this is it, then it doesn't bleed into or touch. There is no spot when you come to John the Baptist get in the rivers with him and receive this baptism of repentance that doesn't touch that app, that screen, that space in our lives. That if the gospel is true, if the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if we are going to move into that space, it's going to be more than just downloading a new app, but it's going to be rewriting of the whole self. It's going to be a change in ways beyond what we can imagine. And I think this is what's captured by that word, uh, repentance in our text, repent for the kingdom of heavens as at hand, isn't just to say, feel bad about the bad thing you've done, but bring your life into an entirely different spot and place. Repent and turn and define what God has for us. Relocate yourself. Now, um, I talk about anxiety a lot because I think it's one of the things that plagues our modern society is that we feel anxious. But, and so when we think of repentance, I think we can go to actions, which we're mostly familiar with. Like if you've done something bad, you're kind of, if you're doing something bad, you're kind of gonna feel bad. Um, we can talk about anxiety too, but what I wanted to talk about today is despair. Because I think that there, and despair shows up in different ways for us. I think sometimes we think despair, um, I think, uh, it's hard because you talk biographical if you want to talk about these things. And so how much do you want to throw yourself under the bus is always the question of talking about despair um, or anxiety or anything like that. So I know a guy. I've got this friend. Um, not me, but somebody I know. Um, um, we, I think, live busy lives. We live always connected lives. We live sort of lives in which we never have a moment of silence, a chance to reflect, because what that does is it wards off despair. It's that sense, if I just stood in the grocery line 
rode the bus in silence. I mean, it's, it's the one that shocks me the most now that ski season upon us is the chairlift cannot be a time of silence to enjoy God's nature, but it's either the person in front of me is getting high or listening to music so loud on their headphones I can hear it in the chair behind them. Um, that we have this way of sort of moving ourselves away from the despair that can that can come in, and it's and it used to be that the joke was that so it's a midlife crisis, right? Oh, they're having a midlife crisis, and that's sort of that moment of despair. But I think it's turned into this like thing that can come upon you at any time or at any moment. You're watching some movie that's not even about that. This is my friend I'm talking about, and and despair just creeps into your life. You want to reach out to somebody to, to, hey, Jonathan, what are you doing? Talk to me. Keep me busy so I don't fall into this pit of despair. Uh, I should go wake Kelly up. That's what I should do. Um, my friend's wife is also named Kelly. Um, uh, the, uh, the despair has this way of sort of looming over us at times. We wonder if we're doing enough. We wonder if we are enough. We wonder if things can even change. And that's where I think it connects to this, this notion of repentance, is because despair in the modern world has this way of saying in that the way that the world is today is the way it has to be. I can do nothing to escape it. I can do nothing to make it change. I'm locked into this job, this space, this time for these hours, with these troubles, with this house that's that's, that's wearing me out, or these, and what repentance can say to us is that's not the only story there is. Despair is not all there is for you. If you're despairing over a certain sin or a certain struggle, that's not the only thing that God has for you. Repentance opens up this space, I think, in guilt and anxiety, but in this case, in despair, where we can begin to believe in ourselves again. You can begin to move into the realm where God's kingdom touches everything. You can take up new patterns and habits and life. You can change and move from this place of despair and rejoice for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Despair, I think, is a, is a powerful drug, particularly during the holidays, is... is um, I don't even have a memory from the age that my kids are, for the most part, barely. And I wonder, am I doing enough for them this Christmas? Um, despair just takes root in those places. Despair takes root in our battles with sin and depression and loneliness and anxiety. Despair can make us believe we can't have the power to move again. So what John the Baptist says when he comes on the scene, it's not just repent for what you've done wrong, not just turn aside from those things, but that the story, the script, the thing that is wearing you out and emptying your life is not the only way it has to be. The kingdom of heavens, the kingdom of God is at hand. And this kingdom, which, which was captured in that Isaiah reading, um, is this kingdom where infants play with snakes and wolves lie with lambs. And things are restored in a different way. And later in the reading, we'll, we'll probably tackle next Sunday, uh, John even asks Jesus, are you the one who is to come? And he says, go back to John and report what you hear and see. This is what the kingdom is. 
the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The kingdom is the restoration of life. The kingdom is the gift of new creation. The kingdom that John proclaims is this one that Jesus will make manifest in his life. If you want to know what the kingdom is for and who it's for, you can read the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' life sort of makes manifest what this kingdom is, is what he's saying back to John. And I know for me personally that, that my understanding of Christianity radically changed when I began to think about what the kingdom is. It's not just this exchange or the forgiveness of sins. That's part of it. It might even be the entryway into it. But what it's really about is being brought into God's restoration of the world. God's way of undoing evil and sin and injustice. Words of Isaiah that the, that the righteousness will be around his weight, that the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fattening together, and a little child shall lead them. That this kingdom is one that, that overturns the natural way that we accept things are and promises us a different world. In some sense, John is proclaiming a different world is possible. And that this kingdom is near and is at hand was a, is, is, is the way that this opened up a new understanding for me, is that if we were walking through my house and I were to say, the kitchen is at hand, or the kitchen is near, you can walk into the kitchen, you can walk into that space. There, there are times in a, where I think we try to place off the kingdom is that it's like, well, it's at hand, and that means we're waiting for Jesus to come back, and then it takes root. And it's like, yes, that's true, but also the four fruits of it are what we have now. We, as Christians, and this is a classic C.S. Lewis one, have received um, uh, the broadcast in enemy territory that the battle is over, that we've won. We know how it ends as part of the message of Advent. And while it may still seem like the battle rages on, it may still seem like things are still going, what actually has happened is that it's over and we're just waiting for the news to reach our shore. This classic and and C.S. Lewis is, is very cl clearly thinking of World War II, is that World War II ended long before it ended. People knew that that war was winding down, that the, that the war was over, and yet there were still these areas that had to be liberated and freed. And to be a Christian, to hear the message of the kingdom of God is at hand, is to know that we wait that full liberation yet, but that God has liberated us already, that this work has begun in the world. So Advent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Begin to move into this place. Begin to find yourself here. There are three sort of ways of sort of interpreting this text. The first is that we're the people who are coming out, right? And there's some of us today who might be the people coming out. Stuck in despair, stuck in sin. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hear that word, turn and take up new life. There's a third way we can interpret this text, or a second way. I'm going in the order I have them on the paper, but I wanted to change it, and now I don't know what I want to do. So we'll just go. I'll just say second. The second way of interpreting this text 
for us as Christians, I think, to be aware of is that we're the religious leaders who come out to the wilderness. Who, uh, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, is a message for us at times. We see people adopting Christianity. We see people getting in the water. We see things not going as the way that they should go. And our instant reaction is to say, this doesn't seem right. Let's go check it out. They don't come with the curiosity. They don't come with that. And the, and the way that this shows up in this reading is that don't say that you're children of Abraham. But God can raise children of Abraham up out of stones. Don't say that I accepted the Lord at Billy Graham Crusade when I was 14 and not mean it. Don't do these things, for God can raise that up out of stones, as he did in, in a classic sort of Jewish reading. That's what he did with Abraham. He raised up somebody who was just on the edge of everything, very old, without kids, to be the one who does this. His point is being God will do that again. Don't say to yourself, we're secure. And it's this theme that goes throughout the Gospel of Matthew. It comes up in chapter 7. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, shall be saved. Matthew 25, again. Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and not feed you? When did we see you naked and not clothe you? When That there's this ways in which Matthew seems to be aware of the hypocrisy that can take root in faith. And the way we check that with this passage is to say, don't say for yourself, we're children of Abraham. Don't say to yourself, we've already made it, we're already there. Don't say that we've got it complete and all figured out. Because it's for God to continue to make the kingdom in the world and for us to continue to find it in this place. But the last way to interpret this, and I think it might be the most important for us in this season, is to see ourselves as John the Baptist. We can be the ones preparing the way for the Lord in our lives, in our workplaces, in our communities. It's not just a message for us when we're down and out. It's not just a message for us when we're too pious. But it's calling us into this work of announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The song we're going to sing after the sermon announces that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That things aren't the way they used to be. A pastor of mine a long time ago, her email address was um, this could change everything at gmail.com. None of you are going to email her right now, but um, squirrel phone. Um, uh, but that was her way of capturing what happens in incarnation and new life. This could change everything. This can make another world possible. We can announce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand in our places and in our lives. And ultimately this, this parable ends with this notion of bearing good fruit. I think part of what we can be tempted to do is to believe that um, good fruit, um, we, we try to make good fruit instead of good trees. See, part of what's true about the gospel and true about Advent, that Bonhoeffer quote we shared last week, that the best word for Advent, the best image for Advent is kind of like sitting in a prison cell because the help has to come from the outside. Martin Luther was crazy about that, that the gospel to us is always an external word. 
It's not an internal word. Somebody has to come on the scene and announce, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It comes as an eternal word. And so what external word, and what happens is, is we can be tempted to say, well, let's get good fruit instead of let's get good trees. Because we have to reside in the gospel. We have to believe in the God of the gospel before we can begin to grow good fruit. Martin Luther said it like this, is that works don't make a person good, but you have to be good in the ground. You have to be good as a tree before then. And so it's this power to make new creation out of nothing that God happens here. It's not within our possibility to do this. The quote on the back of the bulletin, I think, has a, a helpful way of comp, uh, stating this. Comfort yourself. It is not yourself that you should expect grace. It's not from yourself you should expect grace. But on the contrary, it is expecting nothing from yourself that you must hope for. That if we are going to be those who can bear good fruit, it will become in residing in the notion that the kingdom is at hand. We didn't bring the kingdom. We didn't make the kingdom. But it was announced and heralded us by people like John. It's with trusting and abiding in that external word from Jesus that we can become more than we are, become more than stones, and become the new creation that God has called us to be. Let us pray.